Our text for today comes from Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by the way of Sidon toward the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers to his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to them, sorry, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealous they proclaimed it. They were as astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. All right. Well, it's good to be together today. Uh, periodically, I like to get my wife to uh, have to pronounce Aramaic words in front of people and see how she feels about that, um, which, you know, she did, she did pretty well. She did pretty well. Uh, again, I just wanted to echo some of what Ashley said there. The first being, uh, th- that book out in the lobby, Seculosity, was probably my favorite book of 2020 that I read. Uh, it's a book all about the ways in which uh, in culture, we attempt to find our meaning, our value, our uh, religion even, through all of these different means. And it's actually a really lovely book. It's a quick read. It's not overly academic, uh, even though it sounds a little bit that way. So if you're interested in that, uh, I would encourage you to pick that up. And secondly, I just wanted to say thanks again for uh, for being a part of the uh, volunteering for the event that Caden's Closet put on this week. It was really wonderful uh, to be together and to serve together. Serving together is the heartbeat of the church, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of you showed up, and we were very, very thankful for that. Jen worked her tail off, and we're very, very thankful for Jen as well. So it's a good thing. Now, this week is our last week before we begin a new series on the book of Romans. Next week, we're starting the book of Romans, which is a big and dense and important letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. It's one of those books that has seen like gallons and gallons of ink spilled on by scholars and pastors and preachers attempting to help people understand what that book is all about. And so because of that, there's always a little bit of a trepidation when you wade into a book this big uh, that so many people have covered before, and hopefully so many of you have read. Um, But my prayer is that God would speak to us over the next, I think it's 11 weeks, as we dive into the book of Romans, and we study it, and we sit around it and hear the word of the Lord and see the ways in which it changes us. Our home groups are also going to be going through the book of Romans for this season of home groups. And so if you want to sit with some people and you want to read the scriptures and you want to allow those scriptures to kind of marinate in you, uh, home groups are a great place to do that. But today, today we are uh, going to look at a story from Mark's gospel. Now, if you know anything about Mark's gospel, and it is probably the most succinct or straight-to-the-point gospels in, in, in the Bible. There's four gospels in, this, in the Bible, and Mark is, is the shortest and, and most direct. There is an economy to the way that Mark tells the story of Jesus. 
But precisely because of the directness of Mark's story, you get a glimpse when you read it that everything on the page is purposeful, that it's there for a reason. The words seem, at least to me when I read it, to be really packed with layers of meaning. Like all of the Gospels, like, like all of the Gospels, it seems that Mark is weaving this kind of dense and interconnected web of biblical words and images and scripture quotations all woven together and, and also constantly referring back to the story of Israel and to the Old Testament in order to guide Mark's audience and us uh, through this story of Jesus to help us understand it. And to help us understand it on more than just one level. On more than just one level. Have any of you ever been to a movie that you really enjoyed a lot on the first viewing? But then, a few years later, maybe you revisit this movie that you had enjoyed the first time. But you realize that on the second or third viewing, that the movie you enjoyed had a level of significance. Or was communicating a message that the first time you watched the movie, you didn't necessarily realize were there that this movie had something to say. It was kind of commenting on society or it was commenting on some some idea in some way. And while it was good on the surface, right, it was just an enjoyable movie, it actually wanted to communicate something profound about about life or about something that was happening in the world. Uh, Probably the most immediate example of this in our culture today is a Pixar movie which Pixar movies are all just thinly veiled stories about dealing with your feelings, right, which is inside out. Or uh, if you just take any Toy Story Pixar movie out and it's all just about the journey of growing up and dealing with the fact that none of us ever dealt with the fact that we have grown up and all of our toys are gone and we'll never see them again. Uh, Or lately, or lately, uh, it seems like every Pixar movie is just about death. Right, and just learning to deal with death, which is strange for a series of kids' movies, but that's what they've wanted to tackle lately. It's a bit heavy-handed, but that's what those movies are about. And just like a movie can be understood on multiple levels, the Bible, even more so than that, is meant to be understood and explored in profound and often deep ways. Jesus, and this story we have today of Jesus healing the deaf man, who has trouble speaking as well, is an amazing story just on the surface. It's an incredible story. But Mark is communicating on multiple levels here. And, he can, and we can read the story for what it is of a miraculous healing story, a good story. And the first or second or third or fifth or tenth time we read it, maybe, it's still that. It's just a very good story that communicates about the power uh, of Jesus and his ability to heal us. And his, and his mission as the Messiah. And those are all uh, perfectly appropriate ways of reading this story. But upon multiple readings, and as you read slightly deeper in this text, what you come to realize is that Mark is communicating not just something kind of surface about Jesus be doing this work of healing, but he also, with this story, wants to communicate something deeper, a reality that maybe is a bit more veiled, that it might take one or two or three readings to really come to an understanding of. And it might take a vision of the larger context of both this book, the story that Mark is telling in this book, and the entire story that the Bible is telling in order to really understand 
what Mark is driving at. You see, when you read any bit of the Bible, the Bible is intentionally trying to teach you to listen deeper, to listen closer, to pay more attention to the words and to the illusions and to the images and to the echoes that you hear reverberate all throughout the book. And this is how you learn to be an astute reader of Scripture. Now, in this story today, what we need to understand in order to, to, to start listening more deeply to this story is the context within which this, this, this healing miracle that Jesus performs falls within. Now, in Mark chapter 7, the story that comes right before the story that we heard read today is the story of Jesus, in, Jesus casting out the demon of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Now, if you may or may not be familiar with this story, but this is a miracle of deliverance of this woman's daughter. But the point of the story is not necessarily the deliverance of the daughter. The point of the story is the faith that is displayed by this Syrophoenician woman, this non-Jewish woman. And this is one of the few stories in the Bible of Jesus doing a miracle, not just for Jewish people, not just for, uh, for, the, for the Hebrew people, but for Gentiles as well. Something Jesus, uh, something Jesus makes explicit in the story that comes right before this, and if you have your Bibles, you can look up and reference it, because Jesus, controversially, calls this woman a dog before he does this miracle of, of deliverance for her daughter. And when we read that, we're taken aback, right? Like, why in the world would Jesus refer to someone as a dog, especially a woman? But you have to understand a few things in order for this to make sense. You see, Jesus uh, grew up in a Jewish world, right, with a Jewish imagination. And the Jews believed that Gentiles were unclean people, that they would eat anything, right? Which is kind of true, <laughs> right? Which is kind of, you put it in front of us, we'll eat it. Uh, but they believed because of those practices, they were a kind of unclean people, that they were uh, defiled in some way. And so a part of the way that the uh, kind of offhanded way that the Jews referred to Gentiles were as dogs because the, the, they would eat anything, right? Just like a dog would eat anything from the floor in your house, which is a, really comes in handy when you have four little kids and you need to clean up. Now, just in case you're worried that Jesus is some type of racist or chauvinist in this story, I think Jesus is showing his disciples not that the Gentile woman is somehow less than they are, but that faith in the Messiah can be found in anyone, not just Hebrew people. And in order to make that explicit, in order to kind of reveal to his disciples that that's the case, he refers to her the way that they are in their hearts thinking about her. Does this make sense? And he calls out the, the prejudice that they have for this woman in order to make his point explicit. So, this is the context and the theme that begins to bubble up in Mark's gospel. This theme of the, the, the power or the grace or the goodness or, or, or the work of God beginning to happen, not just with God's people, but also with the Gentiles. Through the story of the Syrophoenician woman, we begin to catch a glimpse of what Jesus is, is do, will do a few more times throughout the story. It's that, that maybe the message that Jesus is bringing is a little bigger, that it's a little bit more inclusive than we originally thought. And so after Jesus has this encounter with this Gentile woman, Mark tells us that he heads to the region of the Decapolis. 
He heads to the region of the Decapolis, which was a grouping of Greek cities that butted up against Israel. Uh, I think nine of the ten cities in the Decapolis region were actually across the Jordan River. So they they were in the east. They were outside of Israel. So Jesus, in this story, he has this encounter with a Gentile woman, and then he goes to a predominantly Gentile region. This region of the Decapolis uh, was, if you know, 10 cities. Deca is 10, and Polis is city. So it was this region of 10 cities, and the biggest city in that region was Damascus, which is this, the capital of Syria. But in Jesus' day, in Jesus' day, Damascus, did I say that correct? Yeah. Uh, Damascus, which was the capital of Syria. In Jesus' day, this region was predominantly Hellenistic, so meaning that it was a Greek-speaking part of the world. So Jesus had basically traveled, he moved out of the Judean area and into the Greek-speaking world. And when he goes to this region, what happens there? A deaf man with speech problems is brought to him. And Mark tells us that whoever brought the man to Jesus begged him to do a healing work. They begged Jesus. But, which is peculiar, isn't it? Because just like Jesus' interaction with the, Gentile, with the Syrophoenician Gentile woman, Jesus seems reticent to do anything in this place. He's pushing back a little bit, but yet he's begged to do this work. And so, kind of almost in a, I wouldn't call it begrudging way, but in a way that isn't overt or out in public, he says, okay, I'll do it. And he takes the man, and he pulls, the, the text tells us that he pulls him aside, and he does this funny thing. He puts his fingers in his ears. He gives him a wet willy, essentially. Uh... <laughs> And then he spits and touches his tongue, which is odd, right? Uh, So Jesus pulls the man aside into private, and this is what we read in verse 33. He says, he took the man aside in private, away from the crowds, and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. And then, looking up to heaven, he he sighed and said said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And immediately, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, which is fascinating, right? But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. So in a somewhat out-of-the-way place, Jesus covertly or attempted, attempted to do secretly does this miraculous thing, and he commands the man not to speak about it. Don't spread this around, which is hilarious, right? Because what does the man do immediately after Jesus tells him to not, to not share this? He d- he does the exact opposite thing, and that makes complete and utter sense because he used to speak, not, used to not be able to speak and not hear, and now he can. So what is a man who, was, who had a speech impediment supposed to do, right? You, hey, Jim, what happened? The last time I saw you, you couldn't speak, right? And he's supposed to go, nothing, everything's fine, right? No, he's going, he's going to be honest, right? And he's going to tell the story, and th- that... Uh, incongruity in this story kind of makes things feel a little awkward, doesn't doesn't it? it? It's honestly a bit confusing. Jesus is not acting here in a way that feels normal to us, I don't think, when we read it. But the key that I think Mark wants us to uh, to kind of come to or to learn in this story is found at the end of this passage. 
when the word of this man's healing begins to go out and people begin to respond. So in verse 36, this is what we read. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Specifically, the place I want you to focus in this morning is on that last sentence. He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Now, if you are, uh, if you are one of Mark's, if, as, as Mark's audience, I think Mark wants us to hear something here. This, this little phrase that this the group who has seen this miraculous thing done for this deaf man who also had a speech impediment, I think Mark wants us to hear an echo here of something that, was hap- that happened before in the story of Israel. Actually, the, this, fr- this sentence that is put in the mouth of this prim- primarily Gentile audience, so they're probably not even Jewish people, is, uh, is a near quotation of a passage out of the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 6, we read this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall hear. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the stammerers will be clear. Now, this is significant because the book of Isaiah is all is about the prophet talking about a kind of promised day. When the people of Israel won't be scattered all over the world and oppressed by all these foreign powers. But Isaiah speaks of a day when God's exiled people, his people who have been exiled and oppressed, will return to the land that God had promised them. And then a time of blessing and restoration and hope will occur. This is what the book of Isaiah is all about. And we catch a glimpse of this just a few uh, verses down from Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. And track with me here. But in, in verse 10 of that same chapter, this is what we read. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall fall away. It's powerful. It's a, po- it's a powerful prophetic word that Isaiah gives here. And that is the passage that we hear echoed in the words, not of a Jewish crowd of people, right? But in a group of Gentiles. And Mark wants us to hear that emphasis, I believe, which is fascinating. So Mark is telling us through the use of a biblical quotation something, that something profound and unexpected is taking place here. That the healing and the restoration and the redemption that Isaiah promised would come to God's chosen people, to the Hebrew people, through the story of Jesus is now being expanded beyond the borders of the people that, 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 that thought it was for them. It's being expanded to the Gentiles. Jesus literally crosses a national border before this story in order to communicate this idea. Those who were previously thought to be outside or excluded from this restorative work of God are now, in in Jesus' presence, included. They're now included. Both the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter and this deaf and mute man, this deaf man and all of the people who are present and apparently just awestruck by this work that Jesus has just done. If the band could come up, that'd be awesome. Now, 
the G, when, when Jesus speaks to these Gentile groups of people, what he does, specifically through this Syrophoenician, not the Syrophoenician, but specifically through this deaf man is fascinating. Because there's something about the miracle itself, isn't there? Of, of, there's something symbolic and prophetic and powerful about the, about the miracle that Jesus performs. That this pro- most likely Gentile man now has his ears opened and his tongue loosed. He is now able to hear the truth that Jesus has to speak to him. And he himself is now able to speak the truth in the words of God. Do you see what Jesus is doing here through this communication? You see, I think in some way, Mark is communicating to us, and Jesus, through this miracle, is communicating to us that it is not just God's special people who alone can carry the message, right? Specifically because after this miracle occurs, what happens? Everyone hears, right? Even though Jesus is trying to tamp this thing down, everyone still hears. It's like something powerful has now happened, and, and even those who were previously excluded are now able to powerfully proclaim the truth of who Jesus is and are able to step into the blessing made available to the people of God. And you see, this story comes to pass. The, the, the power uh, and the, the hinting that this story makes at the, the, this gospel, this good news moving itself out into the Gentile world, actually comes to pass. God's saving and healing and restorative work expands from Jerusalem out into the whole of the world. It's just here that we catch a first little divine glimpse of what God is planning to do. You see, God does the most unlikely things through the most unlikely people. This God has shown that he can and will speak through everyone who is able to offer both, offer up their tongue, offer up their voice, and who is, able, who is willing to open their ears to hear. This God shows that he will speak through anyone and that he will speak to anyone. And I think that's the last kind of takeaway for us this morning. If God is in the business of using the most unlikely people to speak his truth, why can't he use you and me, right? You may say, I have nothing to offer God. I have very little to offer him. I'm not powerful, not well-spoken, I'm not particularly capable or smart. I feel in my own heart to be insufficient. But that, I think, in in a biblical sense, is precisely the requirements for being used of God. That that is how you feel, that is how you feel and know that God actually does want to use you. You see, the nature of the kingdom of God is somewhat counterintuitive. It is the proud, and it is the arrogant, and it is the wealthy. who They are the ones who seem to have their ears closed and their mouths shut. But it's the, it's the mute, and it's the blind, and it's the lame, and it's the poor who seem to have the ability and the grace to hear what God is saying and then to go out into all of the world and be his emissaries, his ambassadors, his messengers. It seems to be those who in society we would deem the least likely 
to be able to con connect with God, who are the ones that God most longs to use to spread his message, to tell his truth. You see, when I read this passage, I read it as a kind of invitation, an invitation to those of us who feel insignificant and unqualified to carry the message of Jesus' grace, his love, and his reconciliation that we can, in some very special way, offer ourselves up to God to be used. And maybe the way in which God wants to use you this week is, wants to work through you is, to your mind, insignificant. Maybe it's just a kind word to somebody who needs it. Maybe it's just, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's just uh, orienting yourself in love towards a family member who feels unloved. Maybe it is communicating the love and grace of Jesus to someone in your life who needs it. Maybe it's praying for and sitting with that person who is ill and asking God to raise them up. Maybe, just maybe, God wants you to use you to change just one person's life. But here's the thing. We have to be available to it. We have to have our ears open and our tongues loosed. We have to be able or willing to be used of God in such a way as that we can be his hands and his feet. We can't do it unless we make ourselves available. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that when we make ourselves available to God, that we, when we allow ourselves to be used of God to further his kingdom and to communicate his love and his goodness and his grace, people will stand back from that and not give us credit, but say of Jesus, he has done everything well. He has done everything well. I love that verse of scripture. Jesus wants to do for you and for me what he did for this blind and speech, this man with difficult speech. He wants to free us to be his people. And he wants to free us to speak his word. And he wants to free us to hear his voice. And so this morning, would you stand with me? In just a second, we're going to sing a song of response. And as we do, as we, as we pray that our lives would, as we sing and pray that our lives would bring glory and honor to Jesus, would you just in an attitude of response this morning, simply ask God make the, to help you make yourself available to what he wants to accomplish in the world this week. That whatever small role you can play in extending the kingdom of God out into the world, that you would be open to that, that you would hear it you would say what you need to say, and your, that your ears would be open and your tongue would be loose to be God's people in the world. All right? Let's pray. Let's sing together.
Father, we just we echo that prayer, God, that this week our lives would bring glory to you. That everything we do and everything we say and everything we are would point to the person of Jesus. And that people, because of our availability to the work of the Spirit in our lives, would point to Jesus and say, He does everything well. He does everything well. And so this week, Father, as we go from this place, would you carry us, Father? Would you commission us, Father, to go out into our world as emissaries, as messengers of your love and of your grace? Father God, would we carry Jesus by his Holy Spirit with us everywhere we go? And would we, would people know that Jesus is Lord simply because of the lives we live and the words we say? And we pray it all in that name, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Well, thanks for being here today on this Labor Day Sunday. I pray that you would have a great uh, day off. Would you go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ?